Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Red Rabbit Insurance. As a real estate investor, I love working with companies and people who truly understand investing. If you're a real estate investor, I highly suggest talking to Ryan at Red Rabbit Insurance. Red Rabbit specializes in working with investors of all sizes, both for their personal residence, auto, and investment properties. Red Rabbit recently saved one of our investors $5,000 a year by switching to the exact same coverage. That's a down payment on a new rental. I personally saved 15% by switching to Red Rabbit, which is pretty significant. And Red Rabbit Insurance makes it super easy to get a quote. All you need is the address, your full name, and your date of birth. No annoying questionnaires to fill out and Red Rabbit gets you a quote in less than a day. Email ryan at redrabbitinsurance.com or go to the website redrabbitinsurance.com or call 1-800-560-3015. That's redrabbitinsurance.com. Call today to save some money and get better insurance rates for your investments. Welcome guys to another edition of the Real Estate Hackers podcast. Super thrilled to have David Hathaway in the house here Coming to you live from Baltimore. Uh, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So quick background on, on David here. Uh, owns about 50 units spanning uh, Maryland and Virginia. Uh, mostly a buy, buy and hold investor, although I, I think he does some flipping a little bit along the way. No, not really. Okay. All buy and hold. There you go. Um, short term flipping. Yeah. And uh, just super excited to hear his story, how he got into this, and the processes he's using. So thanks a ton for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me on. First off, Chad, I appreciate it. This is a uh, first podcast. All right, cool. So why don't you just take people through kind of, why don't we just start off with how did you get into this? Like why real estate? Uh, how did I get into this? It's a great question. Um, Back in, I guess I'll start back in college, uh, initial interest of real estate and and more uh, the zeal or the zest for knowledge of, you know, how can you come, how can you become uh, financially independent uh, on your own uh, and started looking at the stock market and started looking at real estate. Uh, it was really my two gateways or, or interests and just started reading as many books as I could um, when I was going to George Mason and that was back in between 04 and 08 if I date myself and uh, so got really interested in in real estate and uh, 
uh, in between there, I was also very entrepreneurial. So you know, bought and sold cars off of eBay and um, ended up flying out to Indiana- Indianapolis uh, when I was 20 or 19, when I was a senior. I think I was a senior in college, um, maybe, uh, maybe a junior in college. Um, and flew out to Indianapolis. I purchased, I just ran <laughs> randomly after all my research, purchased a, uh, a property uh, off of an eBay auction and went out there to Indianapolis, first time flying on my own. So I've, I, let me pause you there. I've talked to a lot of investors in my life. You're the first yeah. who's ever bought a property off an eBay auction. Yeah. That's amazing. So, well, it, it, that wasn't my first, <clears throat> so that, wasn't my first purchase because, uh, and I'll go through it, but ended up not purchasing it. So oh. won the auction, um, went, went out to Indianapolis, had to uh, throw myself under the bus, had to br- borrow my uh, brother's ID because I wasn't 21 at the time. <laughs> so I couldn't actually rent a car. Uh, I don't know if that has changed where you had to be 21 or over to rent a car. Yeah, so, so from the airport you to- You buy a property online, but you can't rent a car. Yeah, and, U- and Uber didn't exist then, all but right. it would have been super expensive to Uber all over the place. Uh, but went out there to go check out my first uh, th- first investment property and went to the property, did a walkthrough, and it was in this like great snow. They had a huge snowstorm. So I'm like out on my own, big snowstorm. I think it was like three feet of snow um, in a place that I've never been to before. Uh, the num- the numbers look pretty good. Went over, did a walk through the house, and it was just not like the the disclosed condition was not what was on the eBay listing. And uh, luckily, I had the gumption. To worse, just, not better. Worse, yeah, it was worse than 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 what was described. Um, so I don't know how, but I just I told the auctioneer, hey. I'm not buying this house. Um, I think I did like initial deposit. And I was like, no way I'm buying this house. It's like your disclosure or on uh, your description on, on eBay is just, is not correct. Yeah. Um, auctioneer was pissed, um, but ended up getting out of it and uh, flew back. And that was my first closest first investment property. Then later on at the end of college, I ended up purchasing uh, my first rental in Raleigh, North Carolina, it was a townhouse. Um, drove down, did all the repairs myself, um, and got that one up and running. And I think that was in 2007, right before the great timing on my part. Great time. <laughs> uh, but luckily, Raleigh, North Carolina is a much uh, lower priced market. And uh, so it didn't get hit as much as. And it was a buy and hold, right? So it's a buy and hold. I mean, one of the things we talk about is the. You know, one of the best parts about these buy and holds, if it's cash flowing, even if the market collapses, the rent, the rent probably didn't change that much. No. 08, 09, right? Correct. So your valuation dropped and you're like, crap, what did I do? But then they probably rebounded and, and frankly, you probably didn't even notice the, the no. decline in the market the way you bought it, right? I think, I think there's a saying, I know there's a saying that said, uh, uh, time heals all wounds in real estate, uh, mm-hmm. where even if you purchase a property and let's say, the market drops. Uh, if you hold that for a long period of time, you normally come out better off than when you first purchase it, or you normally can recoup most of your costs. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing a flip and it's a short-term three months thing, then not. But if you're doing that cash flow model, that long-term hold, you know, ten years is gonna 
make all those woes that, oh, I, I spend an extra 10 grand. No big deal. You recruit that pretty quickly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, cool. Do you still have that now? I do not. So I sold that property. I don't, I don't even want to give you a date because I don't totally but remember. But you sold it along the way. I uh, sold it along the way. Um, definitely had some some uh, good good education, good learning lessons. Uh, ended up profitable on that house, but <laughs> probably like a thousand dollars profitable once I once I finally ended up selling in sales price is what I'm talking about. Uh, but that doesn't include the Impressive. tax appreciation right, right. Or, or tax benefits. And um, one thing I tell investors all the time is like your first property. Look, if you become a millionaire, your first first deal, great. But what you're really trying to do, you're basically just getting an education. And if you can break even, that's a great way to get an education. Right? Absolutely. You know, uh, you're going to learn a whole lot more from buying your first property than you are from any textbook or podcast or anything like that. Um, so, you know, breaking even is not, not a loss in my, for your first deal. I think that's actually great. Um, cool. So now, how did you come to, why, why a focus on Baltimore? I know you own a lot here. Uh, you're a big believer in this market. I, I think kind of about everything you're doing going forward is right around here. Why, why Baltimore? Why Baltimore? Terrific question, Chad. Uh, started, started the majority of my investing in Prince William County. It was depressed uh, market after 08. Um, and they had a bunch of political stuff in addition to the market crash. They had a bunch of immigration laws that were coming out and the population was majority Hispanic. Um, so people were kind of just leaving the county and it was still kind of tied into that Northern Virginia area. So you still had good jobs. Geographic location was great. Um, so purchased a few properties there. Uh, prices kept creeping up, kept creeping up and moved, moved my way over to Prince George's County, which I still am high on to this day. Um, still have properties in Prince George's County, uh, Maryland, for, for those of you that are listening. And uh, the rents to mortgage rates were good. <laughs> it's because I'm a cash flow investor, so I always look at that rent to mortgage rate spread. Mm. Um, then prices in, in uh, Prince George's County were creeping up, similar to, to Woodbridge. And that path of progress just carried me over to start looking at Baltimore. It really took me a long time to to dabble in Baltimore because it's definitely different markets with the roughness. It's extremely rough. Um, but eventually said, hey, this is a great opportunity. And every time in my past experience where I've been like, man, this stuff doesn't make sense, um, it, the, there's a price correction. Um, so ha had that feeling with Baltimore that man, this, this, the numbers don't make sense. The stuff doesn't make sense. I'm just just jumped in, both feet and. Uh, so let's talk about you talk about kind of being rougher. Um, I think that's something. I, I I think our audience is going to really be interested to hear. You know, uh, people who are probably afraid to invest in a place like Baltimore, saying ah, it's a little too rough for me. Um, you're obviously saying you know no, I'm just going to build a business around that. Uh, I guess. What are some things you've learned from a market like this that's maybe different from Northern Virginia and how to kind of still be successful, I guess? It's a great question. Um, the tough parts is you have, you have risk reward. Um, so Baltimore, it is, 
I believe, high on both, high on risk, high on reward. Uh, so you can come in and you can in, invest in a property and you can get really, really burned if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I don't actually recommend new investors to invest in Baltimore. Um, I channel them to PG County where it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, it's moderate risk reward or, or low, yeah, low, lower to moderate risk reward. Right. Um, you have just better tenant quality, better jobs, better geographic location towards DC. And um, so there is a balance of risk reward with Baltimore that may or may not come to fruition. So um, I'm willing to, to take that chance. And one of the, so I'm, I'm, consider myself more of a contrarian and uh it means going kind of you kind of go against the trends and when I, I i initially looked at baltimore like i don't know four years ago or five years ago and i was like ah I did th- there's just so much so many vacant properties and the supply scared the heck out of me um because i was like well at any one time a big developer can bring online 50 you know ten thousand houses and uh, so that really scared me a lot the first time I looked at Baltimore. And then when I came back, I just, I saw an opportunity as far as if I think that way, the majority of investors think that way and they're going to be scared off from Baltimore. So I took it as an opportunity. And even though I was still scared to invest in Baltimore, um, I saw this just because of that scarcity uh there is a much bigger opportunity um, to come in and purchase things at a at a lower rate, um, and it's it's a it's a major city. There's it has a lot of catalysts going for it with geographic location between New York, between Northern Virginia, that plays a huge role in for me. Um, people can actually commute from Baltimore to D.C. People do do it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my old coworkers, and um, so. Geographically, it's just in a wonderful location. It's on the water, so it's got shipping. It's a major hub. Um, but what, so I, I that all makes sense. But what have you? Uh, I had to kind of change on the operation side. Oh, from just, your question was yeah. what, what? What differences? Right. Um, everything was just a little bit more. Yeah, and you want to know what made it successful? Right? Yeah. How do you handle? I just think. What you're, what you've done, so many investors want to do. It's so appealing. The cash flow numbers are clearly better in a place like Baltimore, you know, than they are in a B-class suburban town in general, right? Um, but come with that comes a lot of risk, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm curious what you've learned along the way to help mitigate that risk and still get good-paying tenants, keep costs down, work with the city. You know, there's some moving pieces there. Definitely pieces there there's still challenges there's daily yeah. daily challenges in baltimore yeah is baltimore uh, running up yet or is it still not uh it is so okay. i did so you can pay water bill oh that's good you can pay something okay <laughs> maybe big you pay, win maybe you can pay tickets after three months baltimore and, water bills and, be paid not water or uh, yeah but there's still a lot of challenge and that's why i do cater you know experience has definitely helped out um, having a little bit thicker skin, net, uh, being able to network. Uh, I'm super high on integrity and I'm super high on working with great people. Um, both of those have aided in being more successful in, uh, in, in Baltimore. Um, 
I run a, a small mastermind, which is which is helped of, of action takers um, that we just run ideas by. Yeah. So I tell you what, and it's interesting you bring this up. I, one thing that I found in Baltimore is if you're not careful, it is really easy to hire a contractor who like really screws you over. Like not just does a bad job, but like like can like just find out some your money if you're not careful. Yep. Um, and so it sounds like what you're saying and makes a lot of sense is that you're basically using you're using networking to find those high caliber, high quality people, and then use them as essentially I imagine referrals to other contractors to vendors to basically mitigate away from the you know paying a contractor twenty k and they just run off of your money. Basically. Correct. Uh, networking is huge there. Also, experience. Uh, when I when I say experience, and that's why I channel people away from Baltimore, is there's just some natural cues uh, that people put off that you're like, ah, uh, there's something about this guy uh, that I just do not like, and uh, you develop those cues. So I didn't say this in my background, but as a police officer for nine years, um, if with Metro Transit. And I've always been relatively good at discerning emotions and different things that's going on in, in somebody else, their body language, and, and it was definitely honed even more in the police department or working you know, as a police officer in the police department. Um, so having that experience to know, hey, when this guy's, you know, and some of those will, will, will go straight action items. I, I definitely love action items. So... Um, we'll go some of those cues. Some of those cues are, I don't, I, you know, I only accept cash. Like that's a, that a red flag should immediately So this on. is like, so you're meeting a vendor. Meeting a vendor for the first time. And you're kind of having like a pre-job inter interview Press. sort of. It's, it's, a, it's a contractor screening. Yeah. Kind of, you know, in, in, yeah, you can say interview. You and so say, guy says, I accept cash. I only you, accept cash. And you say, not interested. Yeah. So you, not, and it's not, this is not blanket. But sure. it should, each flag. one of these red, like, the more red flags somebody has, if they're having two or three red flags, chances are yeah, this is either great. they're hiding something or, yeah. or you know, there's just something else going on with them. So, so what else is uh, a red flag that makes you concerned? Uh, red flag, if, they, if they're a contractor and they're showing up in a sedan, um, like a, a beat up sedan and they're getting out of their car, um, that's a red flag right there. Like just just observing their what what they use, what they're. Um, and so I've had that happen, and I'm just like, oh, how is this guy even? Is this his estimate car? Is this his? So I'll I'll bring it up, and a lot of times I'll also see what their response rate is. So if there's a you know a long pause or trying to figure out, well, why are you driving around in like a, a Ford Sentra? Like, how are you going to get the drywall to the job? Um, and if, if you start seeing a bunch of wheels start turning and it's not like, oh, well, I just always have it delivered from Home Depot. And, and you have to be wary of people that are slick. But normally being super inquisitive and not necessarily interrogation wise, but just like, how do you make this work? I'm like, what do you, what do, you do there? And being grossly inquisitive about everything that kind of you're like, huh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, maybe he knows something that I don't know. Maybe he just, maybe he's got this like awesome materials guy um, and not immediately just 
saying, oh, this dude's a liar. He's, he's sure. full of it. Yeah. Um, but just inquiring about every possible thing that's like, hmm, something doesn't seem right here. Yeah. Um, so doing that and that has helped me a lot in Baltimore. Um, and when I go against those cues, um, I normally get like, there's probably like a 90% rate that something bad happens, whether yeah. I'm on, you know, I go back to the site and then all of a sudden I have a contractor like screaming at me because um, I, I'm, I'm inquiring why the downspout is on the different side of that property that it was before and uh, where, where, you know, the, this one contractor was like, you all, you investors are the same. You want something for nothing. I was like, oh, you know, what happened to you? Like, why would you just change the side of the down? Now it's pouring off into the driveway instead of the alleyway. I would much rather, you know, as it gets cold, it had stayed where it was for a reason I, and not consulting me and just changing things. You awful investor, you. <laughs> um, you don't want your driveway, I see. Uh, so, so uh, you know, as, as a normal, you know, and this is goes along with the experience and, uh, you know, like, hey, no, that, that's a liability issue for me. Like, I, I would like it on that side for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's awesome. I love the uh, parlaying the uh, previous occupation in basically a policeman obviously interrogating a lot of people and, and trying to figure out if they're good or bad. Police you know. officer not in Baltimore City, by the way. <laughs> uh, most police officers, when they say they're police officers, no matter where they are, they're like, oh, not in, not in Baltimore City, though. <laughs> it, uh, Maryland State Police. Yeah, okay. else. Well, let the record note. <laughs> record noted. Um, but uh, so I'm interested, obviously, like, um, just play that a little bit more. When you get a quote from someone, is there something that, that you're looking for? I mean, obviously the, the price tag's one, but is there anything else that you use as kind of the quoting process that goes into this kind of investigation process? So I've been building out this uh, contractor screening process. So there's, there's questions, and again, none of them are immediate fun. There's always exceptions to every rule, any, any profession and everything, but it's, it's more of the totality of the circumstance. Um, so to answer your question, screening, you should be asking about license and insurance. Uh, you should be asking about experience. You should be asking for references, um, preferably two, and two recent references, not from ten years ago, where I built a deck for. And these, and you know, once you start getting a few of these cues, oh, what else do I ask? Um, how many employees? If they have subcontractors. What their liability insurance? What, how much? How much is their liability insurance? Um, and you're going to be able to tell, not only from their answers if they know what they're talking about, but also from the time it takes for them to answer the question. If there is doubt in their mind, if there is, um, and just just things that you can inquire a little bit further, or once you call them another time go back and reference not what their answer was, but hey man, I totally forgot what, what you said. What was your, you know, what did you have insurance and who was it with and what, did you have a chance to check on that to see what, um, and, I, and I can't say, I can't stress it enough. If there's like any integrity issues, it's a, it's a, it's a no deal. Like you need to walk away no matter how small, how big it is, you know, um, if, so if you if, see somebody who there's a lie involved that says, "Hey, I have insurance." Sorry, I, I yeah, interrupted yeah. you. No, no. Um, it, you know, somebody says, um, 
I don't know. Yeah, they say they have insurance. Turns out they don't have insurance. That's like a deal killer for you. That's a deal killer. Because yeah. that means you're hiding something, and what else are you hiding? Uh, normally, when you're hiding smaller things, you know, an insurance may that's maybe it's a big that's a bigger item, or maybe it la maybe there's an maybe there, and there also can be you know oh it lapsed you know I didn't renew it but it's still you know let me get it renewed it, it lapsed three months ago right. I didn't even think right. about you it. You almost care more about the trust than you do anything else. Correct, because that's going to be huge as a building block going forward. Um, uh, but that is, and I, I feel like the majority of people that get burned with contractors are new. There are ex experienced people still get burned all the time. E even people um, yeah, we, in we my did. mastermind, <laughs> yeah. uh, e even, but it becomes a much lesser extent. You know, oh, I lost a thousand dollars. No big deal. And then when you hear some, a, you know, a new real estate investor, like I lost $30,000. Like what, well, you gave him $30,000 like day one? Like that's a no-no. Like yeah. what are you doing, a new construction house? No, we said, you know, and, and, um, so those are just, and, and we talk about like, you need to have relatively systematic or methodical um, way you kind of interview people and things that you touch upon, whether you're just writing it out and you have a questionnaire for each contractor that comes back and you say, hey, I need to know about license insurance, and I need about this, and I need about I need how many employees you are, how many subs do you have, um, because people are gonna have insurance, and then if they have a bunch of subs they don't have insurance on, well then they don't have insurance. You have right, people right. working on your house that if they cut their hand off, guess what? They can sue you. Um, yeah, that's great. So you're talking about systems, and I one thing I've been struck by you, and why basically the reason why I asked you on this podcast, besides you being a great dude, is uh, you are. Uh, seem at least from my perspective to be kind of obsessed with creating process and systems and i mean that in a good way not in a bad way um, i think that's actually not the norm in real estate so i have found the average person in real estate for better or worse is really obsessed with like transactional value right so like close that next deal get a check for 20k of, of profit on the flip and like they're obsessed with that and, and by the way nothing wrong with that that's great uh but it's hard to scale Right, if you're not obsessed with processing, kind of how'd you get there? Uh, so talk to me about kind of well, a if you think I'm right, and then and then b. Uh, what are some things that have helped you on the process and system side of things to get where you are? That that maybe if you hadn't done this obsession to system and process, you would it would have been harder. I guess it's funny you, you use the word obsession. Uh, obsession is a is a double edged sword, right? Uh, if you're obsessed about something, you can definitely reach mastery, I think, a little bit quicker. Um, and I have become obsessed with business systems, and I think it goes back to your why of why why you're doing it. If if you if your why is you know time freedom, uh, remote processes where you don't have to be involved, um, and you're not. Working and you're not the sole person in your business that all the decisions go through you and you constantly have to be making decisions. Uh, that gets stressful after a while. Um, I think when I got to when I got to upper twenty units, I was self managing everything um, and real and had a realization in there. I read it. Uh, read traction. I think it was Traction by Gino Smith for everybody that's listening. Great, great business book for anybody that, that is starting business. It doesn't have to necessarily be real estate. 
uh, read traction and had this kind of this epiphany. And this was when I first started investing in Baltimore. And I think we hit this, but, and that was uh, about two years ago. And it is July 22nd, uh, 2019. Um, and had a realization that I'm a really good technician, but I'm a lousy business operator. Um, meaning that I can, I can pump through transactions and I'm, I'm good at making these decisions, but I have nothing to, to sell and all the buck, I guess the buck still always stops with me, but, um, just the realization that if I had, you know, if you have 26 units compared to you have a thousand units, the train can fall off the tracks real quick. Um, if you have one or two properties, you can be what I like to call shooting from the hip. Um, and you can be not really running a business. It's mm -hmm. kind of a hobby. Um, but at some point you have to make a commitment to uh, how many units you want, what that, that, what you're, end goal is if it's just that you want three thousand dollars a month so you can go on vacation once a you know once a month that's that's terrific um and you can do that as a technician but if it's you know i want 30 or 50 or 100k a month um then i would say it would be very difficult and you'll find very few technicians that can do that and you at, at some point have to transition into business owner operator where you're able to leverage uh, other people that are experienced that have more knowledge than you and kind of surround yourself with a, with a great team. Yeah. I mean, I, first off, I, I totally agree. I think, uh, I mean, in property management, we face this, right? Is that managing five properties? Most people in America could probably manage five properties, Absolutely. right? Uh, totally different ball of wax to go manage a thousand, five thousand, whatever. And the only way to get there is to have just an obsession with process. Uh, so I, you know, I don't care where it is in real estate. I, I think that's right to scale. I think most people, look, some people are happy to own one or two units, but most people in real estate are, are trying to create wealth or trying to scale. They want freedom of time. Uh, so I think this, this is so crucial to most investors. Most people listen to this podcast probably fall in that boat. Is there something specific, maybe just an example of something that you've done recently on the process side where you've, you know, over the last year or so, freed up some of your time by implementing process that, that works really well. That was Chad's phone, by the my way. Cell phone. That was not, I, I definitely silented my phone. Before no, they... no process around uh, <laughs> cell phone silencing is what, is what I'm hearing. Uh, your question, sorry, I kind of messed up my thought process, but your question was, was there a process that I recently incorporated um, to possibly free up some time or, or to maybe make the business yeah more systematized, uh, more replicatable. Uh, one word that I've been coming back to uh, as an obsession is consistency, um, and, and trying to make every every and it just goes obsession uh, every possible thing consistent where nothing. Um, right, low variance. And, and to and to really explain onto that is, let's say you have, uh, let's say you have, let's say you have fifty units. Um, so most people, if they have fifty units, they're going to have fifty folders for each one of those properties um, that have leases and have <laughs> that have 
uh, that that just have you, you know leases, lead certs, rental registrations, your your HUD statements, which is your settlement statement that you'll you know, when you close on a property. So you have all these documents, and you have to have them stored somewhere. And, and uh, so I think a year and a half ago, I think it was about a year and a half ago. Don't quote me. Um, I I brought on a bookkeeper um, and, and started utilizing. QuickBooks, um, which is QuickBooks Online for anybody that's scaling their business, definitely look into it. Um, and that's been good. You and that's good, good switch. It's been good. Yeah, it's been great. Um, it's it's still uh, time consuming, but there's way less stress at the end of the year where you have all these Excel spreadsheets and Word docs, and you're trying to figure things mileage counters. Um, so I, you know, back to the the folder system. Um, I, 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 the epiphany was um, my accountant called me and she was like, hey, I, need, I can't find this HUD. I, you know, can you get me this HUD? And I went in my folder system and I, it was taking me, it took me like 10 or 15 minutes to find the HUD. And it drove me, I was, you know, drove me insane that I was wasting 10 or 15 minutes where, um, where I should have known where that, HUD statement was based upon consistency because every folder should have been the same. So there should have been a folder that had the property address. And then in that folder, it should have some subfolders. So in, in and we'll go even in more into depth, in my, in, in my property folders, there's subfolders. There's leases, um, there's important docs, and there's pictures. Um, and then I think that I have like, I don't know, that's it, leases important docs and pictures. Um, and this is all up on Google Drive. This is all, this is all, on, Google, this is all on Google Drive, all cloud-based. Um, uh, so because I didn't have, because some folders were different than the others, it made it super challenging to find, and, and, and for me to find things. But if I can't find them, how the heck is somebody that I hire, my accountant or my bookkeeper going to be able to find a HUD? Um, so, it, it, you know, creating that process of every single folder. So then that day I got frustrated and I went through every single property and it's much easier to do it when you have, you know, 40 units instead of having try, imagine trying to redo something when you have a thousand units or yeah. 2000 units and, and remake everything consistent it becomes. So as you scale, you realize how much consistency is important because if you have to backpedal and do it previously, it's going to take ridiculous amounts of time. So going back and just reformatting every single folder. So every time I click on any property, all the subfolders are the same, and any the things underneath the subfolders are the same. Um, that awesome. was was a big thing. Um, that was a huge, you know. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a small thing about investing, right? But it's like half the battle, like where you can free up time. One, you can use the time in other places in the business, and then two, at some point. You can stop spending time at all and go spend time with your family or whatever you want to do. Uh, and I think document organization. I know I hear a lot of investors talk about how painful financing, like refinancing is. And I've always been obsessed with, with documents. I've been obsessed with everything we've got on terms of taxes and everything all sits in the Google Drive folder. And then when it comes tax, when time comes time for a refinance, I just share the folder. Yeah. And I mean, maybe for him it's a couple hours of work, but it's not any time of work for me because everything's in the folder. 
And so I've always said like, for us getting financing actually hasn't been that, that painful. Um, I don't know if that's, I'm, I'm, I'm not, just the, the documents is not the only reason why. There, there's other stuff too, and we've got to know our bankers, there's a relationship there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, whether it's taxes at the end of the year, but also just, you know, I mean, the way you buy, because you buy in cash normally, right? Or, or private financing, short-term uh, money, and then do, and we buy out? A little bit of everything, okay. but, but a, a, a lot, yeah, there is, yeah, I do cash, I, I do a little bit of hard money, um, I do, can you know, I started out doing conventional financing with just buying one or two properties uh, from when I originally started, I always start out with the, you know, 20% down conventional, um, put the tenant in, make sure my cash flow numbers work, move on to the next one, build up cash flow, have another 20%, put it down. Um, and that's how I started just doing one or two properties a year for seven years, eight years, and then, hey, I don't want to be a police officer anymore. <laughs> uh, it's way too stressful, and it has a limited cap on income. Um, but organization is just, just like you said, it's not only just for a bookkeeper, it's for lenders, it's for liability issues, um, meaning you can go into your folders and you can find if you have, you know, um, leases in place so you can evict or what dates those are, uh, if you have your lead certs. Um, but organization just across the board makes life easier and it causes way less stress um, at, again at the end of the year or when you, when it causes less stress when something bad is happening or, or you truly need it yeah. because that's when you're, you're struggling to try to find this one document or maybe you don't even have it. Um, but if everything is kind of systematic and methodical. Yeah, I thought of you uh, actually over the weekend. A, uh, That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, this thing happened, and I thought you're gonna find the story interesting, and you're like, I, I uh-huh, this is why. A uh, a property management company in Pennsylvania. And I'm not gonna get into the why or the who or what, but a property management company abruptly shut down over the weekend. Okay. Um, not a small property management company. Um, you know, these guys probably manage 500 to 1,000 units. And all owners and tenants basically just got an email saying, mid, no, mid, mid level. Yeah. Uh, and in basically saying, and we're, we're no longer operating. You know, rents are due in, in a week. And uh, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, if that, you know, if that happens to you, you wouldn't have been thrilled. Uh, and, and hopefully it'll never happen to you because you work with a great private management company that isn't going to shut down. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, that's a very stressful moment. And they, and they shut down just for everybody's knowledge because I, I don't know. They shut down because lead issues, liability, they were sued. I you would, know what? I, would I don't assume. even know yet. This just happened over the weekend. All, all I know is that they shut down. So I don't, I don't, I don't even know why. So your assumption, my, my assumption would be Something that, bad. that somebody, they got sued and, and just for everybody's knowledge, if the landlord gets sued, the property manager will 100% be on that lawsuit no matter if it's their fault, Correct. if it's a landlord's fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's definitely, look, there's no question. There's a lot of liability. Um, there's fair housing stuff. You know, so there's, there's lots of reasons a private management company could shut down. And so in this case, uh, what, what made me think of you to go full circle was your kind of obsession to uh, documents and holding all of this stuff together that if you had to abruptly either start managing these properties yourself or change private management companies, I think, It'd be painful, but not nearly as painful as the person who's not organized, who you know is doesn't even know where to start. Correct. And, you know, uh, that's a lot, a lot of work in a short amount of time to kind of get things organized. 
And and by the way, one thing I found is that tenants smell blood in the water when there's a change like this, right? Correct. Um, or if found- you're backpedaling. If you're backpedaling and trying to do inspections that were you were supposed to do prior to them moving in, tenants can kind of know, you know, if uh, for instance in Baltimore City, um, you you're supposed to get lead certs. Um, prior to a tenant turnover unless your building's lead-free, built after 1978. Yeah. 1978. Um, And each, so between each tenant, you're you're supposed to get this this lead cert and you're supposed to, you're supposed to register your property with the MDE, Maryland Department of Environment. And if you don't do that um, and the tenant gets lead poisoning, they are 100% coming after you. Um, so where is going with that? If you don't do that and then you, three months into their tenancy, you come back and you're doing a, a lead inspection, it's going to start throwing red flags off to them, um, which is you don't want to have is your tenants going, hey, why are you doing this three months after my tenants? Law states that you're supposed to do it before. Um, so that's the last thing you want because then if anything does happen, then you go, hey, how come they did that lead inspection? After and, and better, better late than never. One hundred percent better late than never. Um, well, I'll definitely put that out there. But um, uh, it's just it, having that documentation and it being consistent for you to go. Hey, I don't, I don't think we have the lead cert for X property. Um, to to just be able to notice that you don't have that. That that folder. Hey, I have a lead cert folder and it's empty. Why is it empty? Um, it should be throwing off some flags to go. Hey. If the property manager doesn't have this document, well, guess what? We need to freaking get a lead cert. It's the lead inspector over there yeah. immediately. So both of our butts don't get sued and we're both out of business. Right. Yeah, it's like the old trust but verify, you know, right. saying, right? So like, I mean, I know, you know, you work with us. And I think there's a lot of trust in that relationship, uh, you know, but there's some value in verifying too to make sure that things yeah, are done it's, right. a che- it's a check and balance. Uh, so the so documents... Uh, documents that we we verify is definitely a check in, and I, I laugh because because I'm always hounding Slate House uh, when a Chad property managers uh, Kelly, if you're out there listening, uh, I'm always hammering her like, where's this document? Where's this document? Where's it? And I'm like, man, she probably hates me for asking <laughs> where all these documents are. Right. But uh, but the importance of not only am I protecting myself, but I'm also protecting you guys for. Um, I don't don't want to get sued and go out of business, but the last thing you want to do is I get sued and you guys are pulled right into that lawsuit yeah, totally. instead of us just going, well, here's the lead cert. Uh, it's like, I don't, I don't know what you guys are suing for. It's, it was inspected, blah, blah, and it'd it be squashed immediately. And there's no stress there compared to yeah. where the where your your pants get real tight when it's like, oh, we didn't have a lead cert for that property. Uh-oh. Right. Like, um, so switching gears here, we're sitting in an Airbnb. Uh, those folks who are in the Baltimore area, just south of like the Baltimore Zoo, uh, northwest of the city, is that right? right near Druid Hill Park. Okay, Druid Hill Park. And uh, talk me through this building. So it's a three-unit building. Three-unit building. Um, most people would say not the most amazing location. I find it that it is a great location. I can walk across the street to the zoo, practically walk across the street to the zoo, um, near a metro. <clears throat> so if I wanted to go to an O's game, um, 
but yes, but three unit residential building with a parking pad in the back. Find that parking in Baltimore City is a pain in the butt, just like any major city. How many spots in the back? Uh, you could fit four cars and it'd be tight, but okay. it's a big, it's, a, it's a 60 by 20 parking pad okay. for an exact metric for you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so we had three unit building and, uh, decided that I come up to Baltimore once I used to come up more. Um, I find that that is grossly time inefficient to be on the road for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, Cause you live in Northern Virginia. I live in Fairfax city, yeah. rep out to Fairfax city. Um, so it takes me an hour and 15 minutes usually on Google Maps to get get up to here. Um, but I did want to have a space. I, I, I found it beneficial or advantageous to have a space that if there was an auction in the morning and I didn't want to drive up super early and I just want to sleep at a, at a place that I do that at you know a property that maybe I Airbnb. As I've, I've had experience in Airbnb and Airbnb in my houses that I've lived in. Uh, never done a Airbnb where it was completely not managed by me and, and uh, it's managed by this great lady. Her name is Rachel Index. For anybody that's looking for a Airbnb manager, I'll, I'll definitely throw her out there. Uh, she's been terrific. Um, so, so the first, just to take one step back, the first, the first floor and second floor units are just normal rental units. Market tenants. And, and you, did you do a lot of work to the whole place? Yeah, we renovate. Each oh, each unit needed renovation. Nor yeah, so normally our business model is purchase distressed properties that we can add value to, add value. Um, so I don't want to get too granular, but we we add value to the property, um, and then we lease it up and hold it long term. And refi. If and refi, yeah, value. depending on how how we entered. Um, and so in this one, so first and second floor, you rehabbed it. They're they're basic rental units now. But the third floor is a, a two-bedroom that we're actually sitting in right now. Yep. And so you turn this into an Airbnb. And how's that going? It's going great. Um, it's market. Spoke to a few really. What would this rent? Uh, so what? so rents, uh, just to get super granular, rents in the building, market rents for the area are 900, 900 bucks for, uh -huh. for a one or two bedroom you could probably do a thousand bucks yeah i was gonna say about, I, I was gonna about a thousand um because you did a good job here I mean, yeah really nice um I, I have a method of being under market and running things out real quick and then raising rent slowly but getting the building cash flowing um instead of trying to wait out for a long period of time but so market rents are you know somewhere 900, 900 bucks a month nine hundred thousand bucks a month uh for the area and we are normally renting out the airbnb for or I'll undershoot sixteen or seventeen hundred bucks, um, but with that a month. a month. But with that, you have a lot of extra added costs. So my property management fee is double to triple because there's a lot more involved with communication through the tenants yep. um, and ter tenant turnover, um, just like a, a hotel. Um, and then you have to pay for Wi-Fi, and you pay for all the electric, which you're, you know, all your utilities, which you're not paying for for a market tenant. Right. Um, so just doing some quick math here. So let's say you get sixteen hundred. Let's say three hundred for for management. Let's say what? A hundred for electric? Maybe a little more. Maybe two hundred. No, less. 
Okay. Because they're smaller. Okay, let's just say 100. Yep. 100 for electric. Uh, water you would have been paying for anyway. Yep. Um, and then and then uh, Wi-Fi, so what? Like so that thing 60? 49. <laughs> 50. <laughs> 50. Uh, you know, so, and then and there's some extra cleaning costs too, right? Or, or does that get packed? Does that, gets pack, get... that gets packaged into the Airbnb, uh, into the fees that the Okay, so they're paying like pay. a cleaning fee that, Correct. That, that basically covers your cleaning. You know, so all, I'm just doing some quick math there. A unit that, that would have got you between 900,000, you're probably netting 1,100? Is that? 1,100, yeah, 1,100, 1,200. Sometimes, you know, Airbnb, it's not a, not a fixed, like some months you're gonna make. There's, sure. there's higher months than other months. Right. I assume um, summer's better than winter. I, so this, I've only been operating this Airbnb for four months. Don't quote me on that, right. four months. Um, so I'll have to figure out the ebbs and the, the ebbs and the flows, um, you know. But on average, we're making you know sixteen hundred bucks. Some months we'll make twenty one hundred bucks. Right. We have traveling nurses that want. There's definitely a supply and demand niche there. You should tell me sometimes a tenant will come in here for a month. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Like a traveling nurse will come in here and, and rent it out for the whole month. Um, uh, but it's also kind of cool. So uh, one of the reasons that it appealed was that. This was not just an investment um, and the way I describe it, and maybe somebody else describes it this way too, but we can coin the term, I call it lifestyle investment, um, where, so I'm going, we're going on a cruise to uh, Bermuda in end of August into September, um, and we get, and we're in the, we're going out of Port of Baltimore. So. I've marked off two days where my family can come up here and we can stay in here and we can just Uber over to the ports and we have a parking pad in the back. Um, so it just makes it really convenient instead of driving you know, awesome. an hour and a half or two hours. I love that. Um, I love that. And sometimes we'll deal with like, I mean, I think like the, the beach house is probably the quintessential correct. lifestyle investment. I've never heard that term. If it's a, if, if you've coined it, I love it. I'm going to use it all the time. I, yeah, I don't know. If but you I didn't, then either way, it's, I'm going to give you props forever. Okay, so great. Let's you heard that on yeah. podcast number, or probably on number nine, uh, lifestyle investment, Mr. Hathaway. Um, but no, but uh, I think people do it a lot with beach houses is probably the, the classic thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love how you don't have, it doesn't have to just be a beach house. So in this case, you bought a three unit property. I, I've never heard of anyone doing this before. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. So, you know, two units you run out like normal, third is an Airbnb, probably 85% of the time you're not here, but if it's open and you are, you know, now we're doing an interview here, I know it doubles as your office when, you know, when no one's here, uh, you can stay the night and then, but you also still rent it out and you rent it out north of what you would have got normally. I mean, that's correct. Like, that's awesome. And if you're staying there, even if, you know, the, so lifestyle investment means, uh, means that it's not just an investment. An investment. It's not just. It's not totally about the number. So it's not like oh, I make. So even if I made seven hundred dollars over right. this unit compared to yeah, the so other units, but, making but you're making 000. better than what you would have made. Correct. This is like a home run. Correct. And then, but it's also a lot more work. So definitely having that property, like a good property manager, and that's why I threw uh, Rachel's name out there. Um, definitely have, and that is a specific. You're not. No, it's not a normal thing yet. Um, I think maybe I think it will. I think there's some bigger companies. There's a company called Evolve out there, and I I can neither say they're yeah. great or bad because I've never used them. I just know they exist. Yeah, it's definitely a niche. I mean, we do prime management, and we 
you know, I think we manage a couple of Airbnbs, but they're they're not even Airbnbs. They're more like what I call short-term rentals. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot of work, man. I mean, it is a lot of work on the private management side. A lot of moving tenants around, and uh, but uh, it's awesome. I love that. And so, is it more work for you as the investor too? It is not more work for me. Okay. Um, that's great. Because I more work for somebody else. So it was more work for me when I initially, because I was started. actually running it, and then I, you know, was like, man, I I want to make this automatic. I don't want to be coming and changing sheets. Yeah. You know? I can totally see how if you're running it, it's a lot of work. If you're running it, it's a ton of work. But also the property manager, it's it's a so that's the one of those like win-win scenarios where my property manager, uh, she makes a good percentage. She makes like twenty percent, twenty to twenty-five percent um, per the rental. So let's say we rent it out for, for two thousand bucks. That property manager for that month made uh, four hundred to mm-hmm. to five hundred bucks, which is you know if you run ten. Airbnbs, hey, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, five thousand bucks, and it's Job. it's 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 work. But for short term, let's say like we have a traveling nurse, that's one conversation, and <laughs> she's not doing any turnover. Yeah, um, she might have to answer questions. Um, some of the funny stories in these four months um, that people want to know is and Chad came uh, today, came up to the property, and I was playing a violin on the on the porch. He's like, "What the heck is Dave doing?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm giving you the scary music to hurry up, Chad. <laughs> uh, but, but our last tenant who was was Asian, and I think he was traveling from, I don't know what country in Asia, um, but left a violin here. And when I, I, so I can see the messages from my property manager because she's a co-host, so I can see everything she does. Um, and I still operate the one at my own house. Um, so she was like, what do you, you left like a bag and this violin here at the property. Like, can you swing back and pick it up? And he was like, no, just throw it out. It's like, who are these people? I just bring a violin. Yeah. And like, it's a, it's a good violin. Um, it, it looks used. So I don't know if he just picked it up at like the thrift store. No, knowing um, you, this is getting sold on eBay in the next two weeks. <laughs> No, or it becomes an asset of the Airbnb, and now in your notes, I you're gonna could say, put it up here as a violin. violin. Oh man, and then put it in the amenities. Yeah, it's come like, on, that's right up your alley. I'm not gonna throw that, that away. It's hilarious, and maybe I actually will because it's still yeah, just then, sitting out on the front. Then eventually, a guitar shows up and a drum, and now you got a whole music set here. Yeah, and then the other the market tenants will be like, "What the hell is going on <laughs> up there? I hear violins and bongos." What kind of shenanigans? Uh, one more thing on the Airbnb. I, I didn't. So Airbnb charges a fee. What? What? Is, and that's just built in. It's built in. Okay. And, and it's is that a, like 10% Air, or Airbnb. Uh, definitely disclosure for anybody that's looking to, looking to do this. Um, that definitely check your local jurisdictions, your local laws. They're all different. A lot of jurisdictions, depending on. Most a lot of jurisdictions hate Airbnb, um, so you just have to make sure that it's allowed and you're in the county and whatever you know your state. It's it's mostly county regulation, I believe. Um, but you have to just make sure that Airbnb is allowed or what permits you need to get. Um, they and it changes. Um, so they recently changed, passed a law in Baltimore, and don't quote me because I'm not I'm not great on on that regulation because it's not. My it's not my sole focus, um, but uh, 
they charge a certain percentage for Baltimore City. So now they, they put that Baltimore City tax and it's a short term rental tax that's included in the booking fee. So when somebody books for $700, you're only getting $600. Um, yeah, so there's a, between state tax and Airbnb tax, there's like a 10 to 15% or something. Something, and some, some, some jurisdictions don't. Um, Airbnb yeah. is trying to, I think, trying to be a little more consistent, trying to work with jurisdictions. Unfortunately, in Baltimore, the uh, politician that was working on the law uh, co-wrote it with the, and this is special information, uh, co-wrote it with the um, CEO of Hilton, I believe. Yeah, I don't even want to go down this uh, road, but I, I know you're, uh, I know where you're going. Um, so, there's so, some, so, so there's definitely some bias there some, if you uh, have, you know, Hilton. Yeah, um, there's, yeah, yeah, that that you wouldn't want Airbnb as, as a competition killer. Right. Um, unfortunately, we love capitalism. And uh, so... We, we, right. So I think it's good though. A good takeaway is making sure you're up on the local laws. If you've never done this before, you know, creative solution. It's awesome, but there's some some extra fees and also potentially some local rules. And yeah, just just in. yeah. That that was a legal disclosure. Make sure yeah. you, before you you dive in and buy 15 properties and and turn them all into Airbnb and they go, oh, I'm only allowed one Airbnb. Yeah, I think it's here. It's like uh, two, right? Two or three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For here, I believe it's your primary and one. That's okay. it. Yeah. And I. Yeah, but but don't quote me for Baltimore City. Yeah. You check the laws yourself. They can change daily. That you know, the politician can say, "Hey, we're changing it today." Yeah, so make sure you're up to date on that before you dive in as a business model. Um, okay, last topic. I when I close out these, I always ask, "We're really into tech. We're into systems and scaling." We talked a lot about different ways of scaling. Um, one thing we haven't, I mean, we hit on some tech, obviously Airbnb, but um, what is something in the real estate tech sphere? And this could be management, this could be how you acquire, this could be anything. What is something that you're interested in, excited about over the next two to five years that you think is a game changer or, or could be a game changer or something to kind of go after? Uh, tech. If we want to talk about tech and just, just FYI, Chad didn't give me any, this is all ad, yeah. ad lib. That's right. That's so, how we uh, like it. So he's just firing away. Uh, tech, I would say, one of the things that I'm super interested uh, is that Zillow and Redfin, um, uh, a model, if you will. So being in the real estate industry, I try to follow other uh, real estate operators and real estate disruptors, if you want to call, we'll call yep. them disruptors. Um, Redfin is definitely that, and there's definitely like scarcity of Redfin's going to take over all how real estate operates. Um, so agents are like, oh, ever we know, we're not going to be able to make our 3% commission. And there's been this definitely articles recently about how that's going to be the next thing to go or, or that's not transparent enough. Um, so I have definitely been super interested in that. I am full disclosure, even though I don't have... I'm a shareholder of both Zillow and both Redfin All right. uh, to, to, to even stay up even further on it because I think they're both I think they're both winners uh, and as Warren Buffett says invest in what you know yeah uh, so I invest in real estate but um, so basically so I mean just so I'm 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 actually I own some Zillow stock as well uh, I'm a, it's done well uh, the last, oh, at, at over five years uh, the last year's been a little up and down but the uh, so, so I'm with you on this is that these bigger companies continuing to make larger plays, 
So on the real estate agent front, potentially fees compressing a little bit. Correct. Uh, and then talk me through Zillow. What if you had a hypothesis? What does that look? What does Zillow look like in two or three years, and how's that maybe change real estate in some way? I know on, on your last podcast you talk about like the iBuyer buyer um, with Ron. You know, I don't even remember who we were talking about. Yes, it did come okay. up. Uh, uh, Eric, but, I think, was the... Gotcha. Yeah. So so that... Uh, uh, Zillow definitely... So Zillow's aim is to control all aspects of the real estate transaction. So they are... And at some, uh, somebody that I was chatting with the other day explained it really well. Zillow is the wants to be your real estate portal um, or your real estate platform that you do everything through. They don't necessarily, even though they're changing this a little bit, but they don't necessarily, like, you get your mortgage through them you, or, or use them to find your mortgage. Use them, use that online platform to find your agent, to find your house. To um, So you're using them as a base for everything else in real estate, uh, which I think they're doing pretty well at. Um, and I makes sense because we are a society of, I want, gross convenience and I want it, I want ease. I want everything to be easy and I want it to convenience and that's the fast casual yeah. uh, trend that we have. Um, yeah, and it, it's true, right? In real estate, it's still, I mean, we were talking about earlier today, like finding a contractor's hard, right? Or yeah. like finding a title agent who works well with investors or finding an agent. You know, some of these things are still way harder than they should be. Correct. Well, it's just there's 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 like a lack of transparency there, yeah. and and that's what one of the things with the these six percent six percent real estate agent fee um, over so Redfin. The reason I I brought up Redfin is because Redfin their big marketing ploy now is one and a half. They'll they'll list your house for one and a half percent. I even saw one I think on a billboard the other day. One. So, yeah. Um. So they want to change that six percent commission model for buyers uh, or for sellers to, you know, a 4%. Right. One or, plus, or less. plus three or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, so that is definitely scaring a lot of agents and, and brokerages. A lot of brokerages are actually going out of business. Um, I know Realogy that owns a bunch of different brokerages, Century 21, uh, a bunch of weird small brokerages, but they're one of the biggest uh, real estate brokerages has just been getting slammed and their profits are going ridiculously down um and there's the scares the, the scarcity there is they have a different model they have this um, but also redfin is different as in it's completely different than a, a conventional brokerage not based upon their commission structure based upon their agents are paid via salary not via commission um so their agents make eighty thousand dollars a year it doesn't matter if they're getting one percent or ten percent um they're just they're getting like the, that they're just making a you know like a government job. Mm -hmm. um, so if they do a hundred transactions or ten transactions, they're still getting the same amount of money. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm not sure of all the different uh, stuff there, but uh, it's definitely disrupting the real estate world as far as tech. Yeah, so I mean, it's just uh, you know super high level. It sounds like what you're prophesizing. I think I agree is basically both fee compression, right? At least in the agent space for someone selling. Less fees, which, by the way, for the real estate investor is great because actually means houses will be a little cheaper, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then in kind of the transparency side of things, just finding good quality people to work with gets easier in a more 
kind of open landscape that it seems like Zillow is trying to create. Yeah, with lenders and everything. Lenders, it just makes everything. Zillow is just trying to create this massive transparency where you utilize them for everything. Yeah. Um, so I do see that that be a big trend coming up where people utilize them for everything from their mortgage to their title company to the finding their agent. And they can find everything instead of trying to ad lib where you get an agent and then your agent says, well, what title company do you want to use? Um, where you can kind of just, it's almost like, the yellow will compare it to the yellow pages for real estate, but for everything real estate, not just for agents, but for mortgages and title companies and contractors. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Are you like a LinkedIn guy? Are you a <sighs> email guy? What's your uh... So if people want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me via my Chad's very, uh, this is the 11th episode, but you can reach out to me via my uh, personal email, at hathaway89 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If you really had questions or want to connect or want to... Um, or stay at your Airbnb. Can stay they, at can my Airbnb. Email this, is, this is a cool place right here. You're hanging out. Yeah. You want to go to the Baltimore Zoo. If you want to uh, walk across the street, Hathaway go to Baltimore, uh, we'll play some frisbee golf across the street. They got new frisbee golf in, um, and uh, and yeah, good man. Hey, well, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome stuff. Uh, tech, Airbnb, creative solutions. Starting out as a police officer, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some police officers out there listening to this saying, "Man, this guy's a stud. This is what I need to do with my life." So. Hopefully, just if you can motivate one person to get into real estate, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So thanks for coming. This is great. And we will uh, see you next time on the Real Estate Hackers podcast. Bye. Good job. Bye. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram, at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.